Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. When we think of famous female aviators, undoubtedly the first name that comes to mind is Amelia Earhart. But she was just one of many women who were famous in that era, the 20s and the 30s. They operated in a man's world, but held their own in air shows and air races, barnstorming all over the country, drawing huge crowds fascinated by the novel flying machines and the people who flew them. I guess this segment was equally fascinated and has written a book about the women who lived in that world. The book's titled Fly Girls, How Five Daring Women Defied All Odds and Made Aviation History. The author, Keith O'Brien, joins me in studio. Keith, thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. This is a perfect subject for International Women's Day, isn't it? It sure is. Well, and, and I, I personally think it's a perfect subject for any day. It is. You know, you, you picked five women, but uh, there were certainly more than five, which surprised me. Yeah, I, I want to be very clear, you know, uh, I didn't set out to write a comprehensive history of women in aviation in the 1920s and 30s, you know, the sort of textbook history where each woman would have her own chapter. If you wanted to do that kind of uh, historical book, you'd need 25 chapters. Mine is really a story about a group of friends. Mm -hmm. These women were friends, and and they were fighting for the right to fly and race airplanes, and they were doing it together. And... Uh the world of, at that time was like what? I mean, in terms of this barnstorming, this whole brand new aviation thing. What was the, what was the world like then? Well, so, you know, you, you mentioned air shows in the intro there. I mean, you know, that's something that people will certainly recognize today. Uh, these were totally different than that. These were real races with winners and losers, jackpots of money for the victors, enormous crowds. I'm talking about a half million people paying customers during the Great yeah. Depression, coming out to watch races over the course of a weekend. An additional half million would watch for free from the hoods of their automobiles parked on nearby highways. It was an, an enormous sport. I mean, in this little window of time, uh, air racing was one of the most popular sports of America. What drew them? Was it the anticipation, like a hockey game, you wait for a fight to break out? Were they waiting for these things to crash? That was certainly part of it, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they were un these races were unpredictable. Anything could happen. Uh, and, right. you know, so, so the, the danger was certainly a draw. But we have to remember, you know, at this time, most people in America had never flown in a plane. Mm -hmm. th th these machines truly were magical. There was a romance to aviation that just, for most people anyway, doesn't exist anymore today. Well, the five women you've selected uh, all came from different backgrounds. Can, can you give me a thumbnail of each one of them? Sure. What drew them together? So Ruth Elder uh, was uh, from Anniston, Alabama, uh, was very uh, flashy, uh, housewife already on her second marriage in 1927. She will set out to try to become the first woman to fly across the ocean. Amelia Earhart will come next nine months after, after uh, Ruth Elder. At that time, Amelia was not a famous pilot. She was a social worker in Boston. Ruth Nichols was from New York City, uh, the daughter of Wall Street wealth. And more than any other woman during this time, Ruth Nichols, who has been almost completely forgotten, will really challenge Amelia for the title of most accomplished female aviator. Florence Klingensmith from uh, rural Minnesota was by far the most accomplished female air racer of the era, uh, a better air racer than most men. And then finally, Louise Thaden, uh, who's from Bentonville, Arkansas. And Louise was really the scarcest mm. kind of aviator in these days. She was not just a woman who flew and raced planes. Louise was a mother. What was it about them? I mean, they did come from uh, different backgrounds, obviously. What, uh, 
how do you connect the dots between these? What was alike about them? That's a great question, Don. And I did spend a lot of time yeah. thinking about that when I was researching the book because, you know, on the face of it, they were very different. Um, but, you know, there were a few commonalities and, and one, re- one really important one. And that is, you know, even when these women were just young girls, still just girls, they knew they were different. You know, they knew they weren't like the other girls they went to school with. Um, you know, uh, Amelia liked to wear her hair short. Louise Thaden did too. Uh, Louise didn't like to wear the, the frilly white dresses that her good Southern mother would dress her up in in Arkansas. Louise wanted to wear overalls and get dirty with the boys. They were different, and they knew it. And, and you know, one of the things that I think is really important here, and, 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 a, and a lesson that I as a parent have, have, have taken to heart today, is that you know at a time when parents and in particular fathers could tell a, a young girl, a teenage girl, who she will or will not marry, where she will or will not work, you know these parents uh, let these young girls you know find their own path, choose their own destiny, and they did that. Right. How did men accept the women coming into this field, which was male dominated, obviously? It was a struggle uh, for these women. You know, uh, many men in aviation, many pilots, uh, many reporters in the, in, the, in the press mocked these women and, and would take every chance they had uh, to take shots at them. You know, just to give you an idea, at these air races, planes crashed all the time. And, and, and pilots would often die right in front of the grandstands over the course of the weekend. It's something we can hardly imagine today. And still the race would, would go on. When a man died in these races, they would often be hailed as a hero. There were actually times when they would hold the funerals that very weekend on, on, the, on the airfield floor with you know, moments of silence and flybys and ashes scattered from the sky from a plane, literally. You know, uh, when a woman died in the air races, uh, there were the critics, the male pilots to blame them, the male reporters to blame them. Uh, you know, they, they not only faced criticism when they crashed and died, uh, they would often be blamed uh, for the crash when indeed it was just the fault of a mechanical failure or the plane itself. And one of your five did in fact die in, under these kinds of circumstances. Yes, yeah. yes. What, what happened there with Florence? In 1933, Florence Klingensmith is invited to race against the men in Chicago. It's a, it's a, it's a, a seminal moment, a, a, truly in aviation history. And, and the reason why Florence is invited to race against the men is because she has proven herself to be worthy of that challenge. And, and in that race that day, she's flying what is known as a GB, uh, a very, very fast plane of its day. And uh, the GBs had killed many men before. And on this day, the GB, uh, very fast, Florence was doing great, challenging for the lead. And as she made uh, the, the, the lap at, at, uh, at the home pylon, uh, the tower in front of the grandstand, at the end of lap eight, uh, the right wing of her plane began to disintegrate, uh, t- tearing apart, buckling under the strain of the speed. Florence goes down. And, you know, in the aftermath of that crash, Florence is blamed for it. And, and, and I guess most shocking to me, Don, not only is she blamed for it, uh, but male aviation officials uh, suggest that she has crashed this plane because she was on her period at that time. She was, 
uh, she was on her period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is, is, is a disgusting thing to say and, 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 and a horrible thing to do to a woman who gave everything uh, to, to fly a plane. But the fact is, in the early 1930s, uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce, which was the regulating agency at the time, that's the FAA of its era, had written into the rules of aviation that women were not to fly within three days of their period. How did the other women react to Florence's death? Well, they, they were, of course, devastated and mm. saddened by her death, just as they were by the deaths of others. Um, uh, they were also infuriated, mm. you know, as a result of, of Florence's crash that day. Um, the, the male aviation officials will ban the women from air racing. They will they'll kick them out. Mm. And it will be two years before the women, uh, my other characters, Amelia Earhart, Louise Thaden, Ruth Nichols, knock down the door, you know, uh, fighting their way back in. It was, it was really, it, truly a turning point for, for the women. One of the saddest elements of the Florence story was apparently she was trying to bail out of the plane at the time uh, she knew she was going down. She was. Yeah. Uh, she was trying to bail out. Uh, she knew she had a problem. She did exactly as she was supposed to do. You know, uh, you know what I described is, is something most people today would find to be shocking. Mm -hmm. But planes at that time were built out of spruce and linen, uh, very lightweight materials. It wasn't uncommon for a wing to fail like it did for Florence, especially a very speedy plane like the GB. And so when she, when she saw it happening, she peeled off course. She tried to get away from the crowd. She knew that crash there at the airfield could kill thousands. There were 40,000 people there that day. Uh, she was trying to get away, trying to gain altitude to save herself. The, uh, the, the women were very, very competitive against the men from the way that I understand your book. They, they were a real threat to the dominance by the men. They certainly were, and the men perceived them to be as such, too. And, you know, you know this was all unfolding during the Great Depression. And, and as it did, you know, uh, of course, the race purses, the, 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 the prize money, uh, shrunk at the air races. Well, what, what would typical prize money be? Well, for, for, the, for the most celebrated air races of the day, you could win up to ten to $15,000. Now, you know, in today's money, that's, that's a lot. You know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, almost $150,000, right, over mm -hmm. the course of a weekend. That's a ton of money in the Great Depression. And so, you know, one key reason why the men, you know, would use that crash in Chicago to banish the women is they wanted that prize money for themselves. You know, it was it was not only a sexist choice they were making, it was an economic one. Uh, if the women weren't racing, if it was just men racing, well, there's more prize money to go around. And and so, you know, uh, the, the men wanted that prize money, and, and so did the women. What did the these women do, and, and, their, and their colleagues, their peers at this time, what did they do to advance the cause of women uh, at that time. And the women had just gotten the right to vote relative to 1920, I guess it was. Uh, and here they were competing against the men. Did they advance the cause of women at the time? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're right. 1920 was, was the year the women win the vote, and they win it in August of that year. And we, of course, now accept this to be fact. Uh, of course, women should vote, and of course, they won that vote in 1920. But it was actually a long fight. And uh, many states in, in the summer of 1920, many politicians voted against women having the right to vote. So even in 1920, it was, it was a hot debate. They win it. But, you know, when my story opens in 1927, uh, you know, 
we are only seven years removed from this major uh, shift in American history. And women are truly still, you know, learning uh, how to exert their power and, and also flexing their muscles in ways they never did before. You know, to, to do it in the sky at that time was the grandest stage, uh, you know, because because flying was so new. And so to prove their equality in the sky was to prove it on the biggest stage of all. Well, 27 was the year of Lindbergh's famous flight, was it not? It was. And and that certainly brought public attention to the this whole idea of aviation. It did. And, you know, um, it, of course, Lindbergh and the Spirit of St. Louis are synonymous with this city, with this region right here. Um, you know, uh, and, and he, his flight in, in May 1927 absolutely influenced and inspired these women. But I think it's also interesting to note um, uh, some other connection here, a, a, a connection that flips the script. Uh, the, the cover of my book is a photograph of these women in 1929 when they were racing across the country in the first ever women's air race. And on this race, the male aviation officials forced them to stop eight times. They couldn't fly nonstop. And one of these stops, Don, was right here in East St. Louis. And that photograph that is on the cover of my book was, was taken right here uh, shortly after these women landed that day in August 1929. I, I noted that uh, in, in going through your book that that uh, photograph was taken right here. How, how much of this barnstorming activity was taking place in this part of the country? Oh, oh it, was, it was everywhere. Um, you know, there were regional air races that would be held in, in, in many different cities. Uh, the national air races, which was sort of the Super Bowl uh, of every year, would be held in Cleveland or Los Angeles, sometimes Chicago. Uh, you know, but, but there were races and, and events held all the time. In 1937, uh, Louise Thaden, again, one of my main characters, she will break the female speed record right here in St. Louis. Uh, she'll, she'll fly her plane, uh, a Beechcraft. Uh, at 197 miles an hour over the city of St. Louis. Uh, so again, you know, uh, we always think about St. Louis being synonymous with Lindbergh, with Doolittle, of course, with the spirit of St. Louis. Uh, but uh, the local history here uh, has much gender diversity as well. You know, it may surprise a lot of people to know, we only have a minute left, but uh, a lot of people, that there were African-American female pilots uh, doing this sort of thing as well. There were. And, you know, famously, Bessie Coleman uh, was the first African-American female pilot in this country. Uh, she died in a plane crash in Florida in, in 1926. Uh, and, uh, you know, she is still uh, con considered to be one of the, uh, the great pioneers in aviation of, of, uh, of any race. Indeed, Bessie Coleman was more famous than, than my flyers before her death. Again, very, very quickly, Amelia Earhart is the one that everybody knows, but you say that she was not the best of the pilots of these women. You know, there's no way to, to definitively say who was, quote, the best, but as far as air racing was concerned around pylons, even Amelia herself would have said uh, that, you know, some of these other women were more talented than she was. What kind of reaction have you been getting from women to your book? Well, I mean, I've, I've been having a great reception and great reactions around the country. I had an amazing event last night at Wings of Hope here uh, in, in Chesterfield. And, and I'm really thrilled, too, that this book just came out in a young reader's edition written for 8- to 12-year-olds. So kids can now enjoy this story, too. And folks, we'll have a chance to talk with you tonight because you're going to be at The Novel Neighbor in Webster Groves at 6.30 tonight talking about your book. I will, and I'm super thrilled to be there. Uh, tonight we'll be really focusing on that Young Readers edition, uh, you know, bringing this story to two kids. The book is Fly Girls, How Five Daring Women Defied All Odds and Made Aviation History. Keith O'Brien, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Don, for having me. 
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.